Hello, my name is Philip Miriton, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution, to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. Now, in the next couple shows, we're going to move from the mysteries of modern science, as we discussed in the last couple shows, to a higher order mystery. And this is the mystery of God. Today's show I've entitled An Atheist Talks with God. Our guest is Sandra Sneed, who is a science and technology writer for industry and a former atheist with a secret which I hope she'll tell us about. She has spent a good part of her career interviewing scientists and engineers, translating their high-minded knowledge for laypersons. Along the way, though, she has been carrying on an interview with the highest mind, the creator of the universe. She gives the first part of this interview in her brand new book entitled, provocatively, What to Do When You're Dead. Welcome to the show, Sandra. Thank you. It's a lovely introduction. Thank you. Now, first of all, let's talk about atheism for a moment. Yeah. What, in your mind, is atheism? You know, atheism, that's an interesting question, a great question. Atheism is a, appears to be the denial of that which is. <laughs> but... Uh, an atheist is actually making a definition of what God is and then denying that existence. So I, I really think that an atheist is, is choosing to uh, deny religion, but is still somewhat seeking the proof of God, whether they do that consciously or not. Yeah, I think that I think that's good because that's my that's that's one of my issues with atheism. It's pretty easy to say that, you know, I'm an atheist because I do not believe in the God of the Bible or I don't believe that the stories in the Old Testament or the New Testament. But at the same time, a lot of folks that don't believe in say the literal truth of the Bible do believe in some higher power, some ground of being, some some universal mind or spirit and it's so it's so it's sort of it's a it's a complicated term and I sort of wanted to start off with that because you yourself uh, call yourself a former atheist is that correct yeah and, yeah. and, 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 and why did, don't you go ahead go ahead well I was gonna say that I, d I didn't believe in anything that I couldn't see smell taste touch feel I didn't believe in the anything that I couldn't confirm with the five senses, at least one of the five senses. So, so that's that's from your scientific upbringing or background. No, really, um, that's from a. I was brought up somewhat a portion of my childhood in evangelical Christian, um, which I, within which I experienced a great deal of intolerance and. 
hypocritical behavior. I now I now look at it differently, but at the time I just couldn't make sense of their interpretation of the Bible. None of the stories made any sense to me. Jesus just seems like some strange schizophrenic and you know none of it none of it made sense. So by the time I was through college I I just made the decision that uh, none of it is true. <laughs> you know, it's all it's all baloney. Well, well that's that's interesting because I think that is a natural reaction a lot of people, young folks, have to mm -hmm. organize religion. It's sort of like a backlash. They go from sort of treating the stories of the Bible as true religion, and the thought process goes something like, well, if that's the way religion is, then I don't want any part of it. I need, right. to, I need to have proof in front of my eyes. I need to have something I can see, taste, touch. And here, just right. like you said, I, I I really think that's a natural reaction. I I bring up the science part of it because, you know, science, as you know, since you've written in this area, uh, is based is based upon experimentation. It's based upon testing something that's repeatable, measurement, measurement, repeatable, and and mm -hmm. the the old tests for the proof of God, you know, never seem to pass muster with the proofs of science and so we sort of have a similar problem but you yourself made a transition right and 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 I and maybe you could talk a little bit about tell us how you made this transition from being a disbeliever or an unbeliever into uh, somebody that actually wound up talking to God right the the benefit of being an atheist, I just want to say this, preface it by saying this, the benefit to being an atheist is that you don't have any concept of what God is or is supposed to be. So your mind is clear of, of that. But in 2004, what happened is that I had lost a job that I loved, and a, and a man I was in love with was ending the relationship, and I found myself in complete and utter isolation and aloneness. I was living up in New York City at the time, and people work so hard that their work life is their social life. Right. So essentially, by losing my, my job, I lost also a social life, and this was in January when the Northeastern deep freeze had had passed mm. over where I lived. And um, so I, I descended the staircase to the basement day after day, writing in a notebook to try to quell this feeling of emptiness that was growing inside of me. And I would write and write and write and write. And I filled up an entire spiral notebook of just emotional blather. And I opened up a new notebook and put my pen on the top line. And what came out was, unemployed, question mark, it is my assertion you are employed by me. Hmm. And this was, this was the moment I realized that I'm no longer talking to the journal. The journal is talking to me. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's really remarkable and and we're about and, and we're going to move into this conversation that you had and that I guess maybe you're still having 
but I want to I want to sort of lay some foundation here that I think is helpful, and that is, as you know, uh, virtually all of the great spiritual texts are in some ways channeled from God or from a uh, supernatural being to a human who is writing them down. And I think you know, the classic example, of course, is the Koran, where Mo, where Muhammad, uh, you know, heard heard the words of God spoken in his in in his mind, and it, it was it was something like uh, uh, God said, you know, write this down. It was like a command to Muhammad, and and of course, what separates Muslims from non-Muslims are those who believe that indeed this actually happened, um, and it always has raised the the issue to me whether there's something unique about Muhammad or something unique about a messenger of God. And I always thought, well, it's it would be sort of weird if only certain people have this skill I, or, or, or um, only certain people were chosen. And so I think for what you've described, where you sort of go through this deep emotional trauma where all of a sudden... Now, now you 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 are experiencing something that is really raw. That 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 apparently this experience converted you. Is that is that true? So what what I've referred to these people that you've called messengers, and God also in my book refers to them as messengers. But I was really uncomfortable with that term because it sounded very messianic. Right. To me, uh, so I called myself a scribe, and uh, unfortunately, we don't have Moses's clay tablets to right. confirm. But but there, I I asked God if you know why why me, and God actually said well, that that's funny that all all uh, messengers say that, and mm. I said, well, what do you tell them? <laughs> and God said said, well, you chose this. This is what you chose before you came to Earth. Huh. This is your assignment that you made for yourself. You wanted to know what you could do to help people who didn't know love. And so this is, this is my mission um, that, I, that I accepted so before I, I was born. Okay, so at some, so at some level of being... Uh, you you have this understanding that that you were meant to be a scribe of God, right? right. And I I can't tell you that I I'm only as I each step place my foot willfully on the next stone does that path actually show itself. Hmm. So I I can't see into the future and say yes this is what I was meant to be and then right. follow that future path. It appears as I willfully, because we are born free will. We are born free, and we have to make the assertion at each step to surrender to our purpose and to the path that we were born to to take. Right, right. I cannot agree with you more. I, I think that all of us are venturing into the unknown. Every day we live, we are breaking new mm -hmm. ground. And, and mm -hmm. because we're doing things that have never been done before, we're creating as we're going. And that's me, that's me talking right there. But, but let me, let me mm -hmm. 
I'm going to ask you a question that is probably on everyone's mind out there, which is that how do you know it was God you were speaking to? Well, it's a it's something that okay. There's two there's two ways to answer that. One way is to answer it in my experience, and then another way is to answer it in how how God presents God's self. So. In my experience, when that happened, it was like when the, when um, it is my assertion you are employed by me. When that moment occurred, it was like putting myself between two parallel mirrors. Mm. That infinite experience occurred. It, it was almost like as well. Um, did you ever see the movie uh, Being John Malkovich? No. There's a scene in it where the the John Malkovich actually goes through a tunnel and he falls into himself mm. and he falls into his and it begins to face himself self against self mm. mirroring self and every word that comes out of the mouth of these characters who are all him it's all saying Malkovich Malkovich mm. Malkovich Malkovich so so there was this moment where I saw myself seeing God seeing myself. And when you, because God is, this is what God says to me, God is what God makes as God becomes. So God is this nature of evolution with purpose and being. God is evolution, constant, at a constant rate of being and becoming. The... Um, and and if you look at that line, God is what God makes as God becomes, it's very similar to what Moses heard God say, which was, I, uh, Asher, Asher, i got to have um, someone who speaks mm-hmm. Yiddish tell me how to say this, but but it, it means I am that I am, but it's also been it, translated as I shall be that I shall be. So... I, th- I find those things consistent. And then there is also the fact that I ask God questions that that only the creator of the universe could answer. Okay, you know, well, I even... even the, uh, this is Philip Muritan. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with Sandra Sneed, the author of the new book, What to Do When You're Dead. And we're talking to Sandra about her conversation with God... Now, now, Sandra, you were saying that during your um, role as a scribe for God, he was answering questions that only he would know. Why don't you give us an example? Well, for one, just to try to stay close to the question, God is not a he, nor she, nor it, because God has no way of being except through the forms that God makes. God says that, um, so for instance, the human beings, man, man who is made in the image of God, and woman is just man with a womb, um, these are the male-female aspects of God that were divided in order for one to make two so that two could make a new one. It's so that we could reproduce 
our natures on earth and the earth re- earthly realm. But so in my book, you might remember this part when God says, talks about female, feminine, representing the life-giving nature of God. But male represents everlasting life. And I said, well, I can see where female represents life-giving because she has a womb. What is it that man has, a man has, that represents everlasting life? Hmm. And God says, it is, a man will, will never give up his place in the home as the, as the king and the master over his home because he will live forever. He builds his instruments of war so that he may live forever. And God gives these, these amazing examples of the way that men are um, that represents that, so that he shall live forever. And then God asks me, so what are these two things together? And the answer is everlasting life-giving, hmm. which is what God is. Hmm. So, so that's okay. So, you thought or you think that when you pose certain questions to God, He He would only so it. I'm sorry, God would have to be yeah. the the uh, answerer yeah. because only God mm-hmm. would know. Uh, the answers to the questions. Was there something about the conversation in the beginning that sort of sort of rang so true to you that you knew that you were onto something? Was there something? I mean, you you talked about in the beginning when your your pen started sort of speaking to you, right. but right. but but was there is there something that said, hey, this is this is something that I. I, I cannot doubt. Was there was there one thing in particular? Well, let me just point out how your question is posed. It okay. is posed from the intellectual mind, right? From from the thinking brain, the, the the part of the brain that deciphers and decodes information coming to the senses. How I experienced God, however, was something so internal into the mind, the mind of God, my mind inside the mind of God, that it creates this nature of knowing that you cannot achieve through the intellectual thinking brain. Mm. So it's an all-knowingness that occurred, not any one thing that went, aha, Mm. you know, yeah, I don't. I don't know if I would agree with that because, see, I, I, see, my own view is that, that that there is a logical way to find spirit. That's sort of because, and I think it. All, I think all roads lead to the. Is same that how you found spirit? Well, though? well, I think that all roads lead to the same conclusion. I and I and and or put differently, I don't think we're saying things that much differently. What I'm, what see, I come from a scientific logical standpoint. And I think that you could discover God through that method. And but I I feel as if folks like you that have had this deeply emotional experience are sort of lucky because because that it, it may be a quicker way to get there, and and it may and it may it may have a deeper anchor in 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 truth. But but I don't I don't think that they're necessarily uh, 
you know, at odds with each other. I, 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 I tend to think, and I would say the same thing about the theories of science, and that is if something's true, it should withstand questioning. Um, so let me, let me approach it this way. In your, in your book, you talk about, a couple times you say, I think you said like there's a billion minds of God, but then there's one mind. And you, and you sort of, and there's a little passage there where you talk about the separate beings, the separate minds operating on their own, but they're all part of God. Why don't you, can you explain a little bit more about how you understand this, this sort of dichotomy between the many and the, and the one, or the, or the many minds and the one mind of God? The... The way to think of it is the nature of God is cellular. Cell within cell within cell within cell within cell. And we are contained within that cell. That cell uh, network function theory was one of the early, during my year of solitude, uh, one of the ways that God kind of reprogrammed my brain to understand how we exist. The, what we really are is this formless being and this, this, that we call a soul. This formless being holds matter and molecular structure in suspension and animation. When we pass on... It appears as if our body is dying, but what's happening is that our spirit is actually um, pulling our soul from the body. We are rising in our awareness of, of being, and the body then falls away. In this dimension, it just appears to, to die. What... And- Go ahead. Um, now I have forgotten the question. Well, where, uh, where does this? Okay, okay. So here's the big question. After that, that's fine because this is an interesting tangent here. So, and where does the spirit slash soul go after death? Back after, after, to their source, and that source is the source of God, the source of being that is light and energy. And this is Philip Merton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're talking with Sandra Sneed, the author of the new book, What to Do When You're Dead. And we're trying to figure out this age-old question of the one and the many. And Sandra, we were talking about, in your book, you mentioned there being multiple minds and one mind of God. And, and, and can you reconcile those two concepts what you mean by well, I will terms. say that it was difficult even for me to understand as God was explaining it, but yeah. what I had the sense of as God was explaining it is I saw in my mind a sink full of suds. And when I, I said, told God that's what I was imagining, God said, well, what's very similar to suds and the and the many minds of God is that upon first appearance they they look as if 
all, they're all the same. These bubbles are all the same. But when you look closer, you'll see that each one is different in size and color. And that is how our spirit can, is individual and individualized and part of this gigantic source of being. There are definitely older aspects of this spirit source that is the nature of creation. There is a common sort of theme here that finds itself in a number of different fields and in fact I have the same sort of spin in my own book The Heaven at the End of Science which is that first of all if there is one mind or one spirit which I think is true then that then that then then what we see as differentiation or different people uh, different planets stars is really an appearance of there being many because it, to me spirit or mind or soul by definition is something that cannot be separated from itself and so and so yeah. so so I I always think and this leads to this leads to the next point which is that many people believe we are part of God and I think that that's a necessary conclusion from what I just said because we, we, we necessarily must be part of God if spirit is, is uh, undifferentiated or if it's if it's a unity right I mean we, we must we, we must be part of God well what what um God says to me is that we are contained within God and God is contained within us. Right. And God is in every cell of the universe. And the only way to enlighten ourselves is to activate that aspect of ourselves. And that cell, C-E-L-L-S, because if we activate that, then we can experience healing. Healing is a unifying of all that has been broken apart through the trauma of life and lifetimes. Yeah, that's really well As done. We, yeah. Where I was, where I'm heading now, you might see where I'm heading, because many of the great spiritual teachers of all time always seem as if they're speaking from the source or from the one mind. They're sort of like, feeling the ultimate roots of existence, say the the authors of the Upanishads, uh, and I mentioned Muhammad in the Koran, and I think Jesus Christ would be the same thing, and many parts of the Old Testament. And But but if we are part of the, the whole, of, of one being, then really what we're doing is we are sort of feeling the depths of the source. We're sort of dipping down and speaking from the source and and I I think that what you experienced uh, which which I which I have no reason to doubt I think that what I would view it as you were you were, you were feeling the source or you were you were uh, verbalizing from the source yeah is, is that consistent yeah. with the way with the way you look at it yes okay. and you know, you, you used the word channel before, and, and I'll tell you, it's impossible to channel God. Okay. 
what's actually happening. Because if you try to channel God and you'll blow up. Hmm. What, what, what's actually happening is when your brain, when your eardrum hears something, it replicates that vibration. So in, in the language of the brain, and the brain then interprets that vibration and can create these amazing nuances to understand and distinguish between people's voices and different sounds and where these sounds are coming from. It's, it's a highly acute mechanism in the brain to decipher and translate vibration that comes to the eardrum. God is simply using that mechanism to send vibration to my brain, and my brain, I don't hear God, I hear my own voice, but God is giving my voice the words to say. Hmm. So it is this, this vibrational dialogue that's going on, and our brain just has the capacity, because it's been programmed through language to decipher these vibrations into a discernible dialogue. It's really remarkable the the way we use metaphors when we speak and when we describe something. I, I don't think it's, it's possible to have a conversation without using metaphors because, you know, in, in the modern world, we're used to using words like vibration and sound waves and cells and even soap bubbles. I mean bubbles. this literally. Yeah, well, what I'm... Not, I don't mean it metaphorically. Yeah, but what I mean is that there are ways of describing what what this what this experience is and and uh, one of the challenges of our modern age and i th and i think why books like yours are important is that we're is that you're verbalizing something that many people maybe uh have sensed in part in their past and you're and you're you're a perfect sort of candidate to do this because, as you said before, as, as an atheist, your mind was clear and you mm -hmm. didn't have any preconceptions. And so you're coming right. into it describing the experience with sort of a, a, pretty, a, a pretty neutral stance or with fresh eyes. Yes. Right? And so I, I, think, that that, right. I, think, that's a, I think that's a powerful... I think it's a powerful approach. Now, I would like to know, from the standpoint of the listener, what what points were the most important to you in your in your first interviews here that are in your book? What instructions, points, would you convey to the listener that that really uh, is is something that we could all sort of benefit from? I think. There's a lot of little lessons in this book that teach us how to live, but then there are other warnings that this book gives, not only for where we're going, uh, where human humanity is going on its path of self-destruction, but also how to avoid annihilation of the soul. The little bits and pieces of how to live our life, like things like uh, 
how to learn to live without expectation or what the co- what expectation causes you other people's expect expectations of you and then your expectations of other people so and the and the damage that can cause to your heart trying to live up to other people's expectations instead of living your life for your own benefit right. the uh, but but still in service to others at the same time that that is also creates a great deal of of giving and love in your life the I, I love when God tells the story about how cancer, what causes cancer, you know, the, the call and recall nature of cells. Our cellular structure is, is made for every, every cell has a calling and a recalling mechanism, and that's that, that dual dialogue or between, in, between cells is what makes every system in the body. And so when the calling cells are calling for something and they're not getting what they're calling for, they just keep calling and calling and calling and calling, and it creates this uncontrolled cell growth, which is what cancer is. And that that was probably one of the coolest things that, or one, believe me, one of the coolest things that if someone who is a cellular biologist or a cancer researcher reads this book and they get an aha moment from it and we get closer to curing cancer, then, man, my book has made a huge mark on on planet Earth. Well, do you think that that cancer is a... Consequence Plague. is a consequence of a of a spiritual incongruity or a spiritual problem. No. Okay. It's, it's, so, it's a mis- It's a, It's from a misunderstanding of how nature works. You don't have to believe in God to avoid cancer or to avoid, um, or even to heal yourself. You don't. You don't necessarily have to believe in God. You just simply have to believe in the imagination that is contained within God. But then there's also the causes of cancer in our own environment. And because of our misunderstanding about how nature works, we think we can reinterpret nature and our bodies can survive it, even though our bodies have evolved through millions of years of being connected to nature. Somehow we we trust science to make our food and to build synthetic fertilizer. And as God points out in this book, if we don't stop making cycles of fake food, we're just going to wind up with so many cancers that it would be impossible to treat them all because our body wasn't made to, to process that foodless food, plastic well, food. Well, one of the... One of the purposes for to me of trying to reach sort of a spiritual balance or a spiritual home is to see what the world would be like and let's let's be more simple to see what life would be like your own life would be like if if we lived our lights according to the true nature of things or the way Mm -hmm. 
And mm-hmm. I think that that's really the ultimate goal. I, I think that, uh, you know, finding enlightenment, spiritual awareness, it, what makes it, what makes it s- such a uh, universal goal? And I, I, my answer to that, answering my own question, is that it's because we think it's going to make us better, either better spiritual beings, better, uh, better social creatures, and, and, and I think that there's an underlying truth to that. So I, I think that, and, and you said it in your book about evolution, I think we are evolving spiritual creatures. What do you think of that? Is, is, is that something that you talked about? I think that is something you talked about in, uh, in your interview. Well, I, I would expand it to saying that our, our spirit is in a state of evolution, and the body is the ability to move it from one state of being to another. The spirit that we are, the soul that we are, is, is very light in molecular structure. It cannot hold memory. So the only way to change one state of being is to be able to hold what we were previously to keep to the holding also in our imagination what we wish to be and wish to become. So those two things have to overlap in order to evolve, to spiritually evolve uh, to our next state of being. And only the body can provide that vehicle because we have the ability to hold memory. So this is just an, an opportunity to evolve to ascend to our higher states of knowing and understanding hmm. as spirit. I see. And this is Philip Beerton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. And now we're going to find out what to do when you're dead. And that's the title of your book. So now you've got to tell us, Sandra, what, what, to, what to do when you're dead. What, what do you do the when mo- you're dead? What, well, the most important thing to do is to know there is more okay. and to ask the question, what else is there? Where, uh, where am I to go? Ask the question, where am I to go? And when you ask that question, you invite the spirit of being to take you to the next place. Otherwise, if, if you think this is all there is, then that impression becomes an apparition. That apparition holds on to the past of the mortal uh, that lived before, and and the the soul is holding that molecular uh, structure together, but it's a it's an illusion. There, it's usually caused by some form of n- not forgiveness, either not forgiving the self or not forgiving someone else because it's in forgiveness that we surrender and let go. And it's in the surrendering and letting go that lightens our being and takes us to the higher levels, the literal higher levels of vibrational acceptance. Yeah, I, I like... It's yeah, signature, a higher level of vibrational signature, I, I which like, is what spirit is. I like in your book, and, and you said earlier that one thing that... You, that dawned on you was that some of your um, s- some of the messages that or um, lessons that were coming from God were similar to 
uh, stories or passages you read in the Bible. And, and I do think that if you're telling, if you're telling the truth, or, or if you're finding the truth, just like in science, you'll have multiple, multiple lines of evidence pointing to the same thing. And one of the, one of the things that, that resonated with me was when you emphasize this, this function of the will and striving. And, you, and there's this one, one quote in your book, the way God creates is through the mechanism of the will which I think yeah. is really good, and striving, you know, people forget that that uh, Charles Darwin, who was famous for a lot of other reasons, the theory of evolution depends upon the struggle for existence. Without yeah. this, without the striving, without this, this moving forward, this propulsion going forward, there isn't any evolution of anything, because everything's just going to sit there. And and just and just mix around in the in that primordial pond of his, so I, I really I really thought that was good, and I and I, I and I sensed I sensed a lot I sensed truth in that because it it, it agrees with so many of the great uh, religious and and philosophical thinkers. Now now I want to. It's important to ask you this question because I th I'm sure a lot of people are wondering it, which is, can anyone talk? with God? Yes, anyone can do it, but so few will. The, there are, not everyone can be a scribe like I am. My body was physically processed, for lack of a better word, to do this. Um, I began scrawling Practically, I mean, I remember at the age of four, my pens and yeah. pencils and things being taken away from me because I was just always scrawling. And the and my even when that stuff was taken away, I took this red Bible and I wrote in the closet on the wall with this red Bible, which was a fascinating foreshadow. But um, so anyone can, because we are contained within God and God within us, Anyone has, and everyone has that capability and opportunity. But I, I took a year of solitude in order to, for this to happen for me. And some people can't even stand driving without the radio on. Right. You know? So, so it really requires aloneness, all oneness. That's what aloneness comes from. It's all oneness. And the only time most people are alone is fully alone is when they're asleep. That's really, you know, that is one of the big problems with, with our modern culture, isn't it? It seems like the distractions mm -hmm. are getting worse and worse while our yeah. yearnings for spiritual freedom is growing stronger. So, so we have two things in conflict. I mean, the distractions are unbelievable, but we have a lot of people out there looking for some spiritual release. So... So my my last question to you is is do you in in your in your discussions uh, in in your role as a scribe can you answer the question or or did God answer the question why are we here we are here to manifest God in the physical form because it is in the construction of 
God in the physical, that we prove the existence of God. And that's that's something that's much better said in the book. It's kind of the reader is led to understand that through a series of kind of riddles that we that I work out with God in the book. But we are born to express God and then to reflect back God. That is uh, consistent with what I think, I, and, and, and and a lot of other a lot of other folks uh, have sort of put it in different words. But it's mm-hmm. to me it it goes it goes together, sort of the point that we forget. And this is me. This is me talking here. That we forget that we're living a miracle. It's so easy yeah. to to overlook that fact because it's it's something we take for granted. And so in our daily lives, I do think we are living out the will of God. Now, uh, Sandra, uh, I, why don't you tell people about your website, uh, your, your new book, which I've mentioned a few times, is just out on Rainbow mm-hmm. Ridge, uh, What to Do When You're Dead. Why don't you tell the listeners how they could find out more about you and your book? Thank you for that opportunity. The book, What to Do When You're Dead, A Former Atheist Interviews the Source of Infinite Being, is available in Barnes & Noble and Amazon. The Kindle and Nook versions are not out yet. You can go to my website, that's sandrasneed.com, S-O-N-D-R-A-S-N-E-E-D.com, and there you can get a free download if you just put in your email address. Um, the, the free download is The Five Principles for Quieting the Mind and Listening to the Higher Self. And uh, there is, are a few other Godscribe writings on the website, and I do mention a few of the Godscribes in history and what, that, what a Godscribe actually is. Uh, but uh, I look forward to everybody reading the book and then sending me an email and letting me know what you think, what it reminds you of, and does it inspire you to to build purpose with, within your life. Well, and thank you very much, and, and once again, uh, that's Sandra Sneed talking about her new book, uh, What to Do When You're Dead. It's a it's her conversation uh, with, with God. She's a former atheist who had an amazing experience uh, in writing in her journal where all of a sudden God started speaking to her. Today we learned about the mysteries of God. They go hand in hand and with the mysteries of science we live in a world where we have uh, many things to figure out but one of the things that appears to be true is that there is it's this being, this source. Some people call it God, some people call it by other names but it's pretty hard to avoid its reality. Once again, this is Philip Mirton, and this is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Sandra, thank you very much for being with us today. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I love uh, talking from a scientific perspective of what's going on here, and thank you so much for that opportunity, Philip. Very good. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week where we're going to be talking to... Uh, Dr. Robert Rose, an atheist who is still an atheist. We're going to be talking about his book, Godless and the Good Life. See you next week. 
You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Meriton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com. 